So we are starting this new series called Bless This Home. And what we're doing is we are going into the book of Matthew, and there's actually three chapters in there that's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Now, we're not going to cover all of that today. What we're doing is we are, we are paring all of that down to the first several verses or so of Matthew chapter 5. And I love the setting that it gives. So, like, Jesus goes up to this mountain, and the Bible says that when his disciples were gathered around him, He sat down. So you're like, you know this is going to be a long sermon, right? Not me, but what Jesus was doing. So like Jesus sits down and he goes through what the kingdom of God looks like. And here's what's great. He wasn't saying this is what heaven's going to look like. He was saying this is what it can look like right here on earth. And so as you read through... Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, this incredible Sermon on the Mount. Keep in mind that this was what Jesus envisioned for the lives that we're supposed to be living right now here on earth. So this is something that we can take and directly apply to where we're living right now, who we have relationships with, and what our life needs to look like as followers of Jesus. So, the word is blessed. That is, that's like a huge word in this first part. So as you read through these things called Beatitudes, they are, a lot, of, a, lot of the, a lot of different Bibles translate blessed as the word happy, like happy is the one, happy is, and I get that, and that's, that's a way to translate it. But the word makarios is the actual Greek word that we translate blessed or happy, and here's what it means. It means supremely blessed. So it's more than just being happy about something. When God extends his grace and benefits upon you, it's more than happy. It's, it is really blessed. It's a beautiful thing. I feel like all of us want our homes to be like a sanctuary that we feel comfortable going to, right? It's like Man, I, you know, I just, I just know that those relationships are genuine and, and, that, and, and, and the care that we have for each other is real. And I want to have a blessed home. But here's the truth. No one has a perfect family, right? I know most of you. <laughs> no one has a perfect family, all right? So, so we have blended families in here this morning. We have single parents. We have divorced uh, parents. We have we have um, we have singles. We even have some kids in here, um, and, and so we we all come. We're, we're coming at this from different angles, and I get that. But here is what's incredible: there is such a universality to the truths of Scripture that whether you're a grandparent, whether you are a child, whether you're a teenager. All of these truths are something that you can then take and apply and put into your life, and you can become more of who God saw you could be, and it makes your life blessed. So these things that we call beatitudes, it's an odd word, beatitudes, they're actually eight characteristics that we find in Matthew chapter 5 of those who are blessed, that word makaria. So these are eight things that if they are in our lives, we're experiencing the blessing of God, the blessed life. So what we're doing in this series is we're going to pull four of them out that seem uniquely appropriate to the family dynamic. 
The one that we're going to tackle today is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And Jesus said this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So you have two roles here. First of all, you have, you have our role, and that is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then you have God's role, and that's to fill us. So we have two roles here. So in, in, in my life, my job, if I want God to bless, if I want to live in a blessed relationship with my family, and I want God to bless, then my goal is, my role in this is to do the hungering and thirsting. God's role is to do the filling. And I'm just glad that it's not up to me to do the filling. I just have to do the hungering and the thirsting. I mean, could you imagine living in a family that exercised and exhibited the fruit of the Spirit? Where there was love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and long-suffering and stop elbowing your husband right now. Wouldn't it be awesome to live in that kind of a family that was hungering and thirsting after righteousness to the point where your family was satisfied by what God could do for them and what God is doing for them? There's a beautiful story where Jesus takes a detour through a city called Samaria and he meets a woman at the well. And there's this coy little conversation that goes on between this woman of ill repute and the Messiah. And they're talking about, he says, he says, give me some water, please. And she's like, why are you asking me to give you water? And then they start talking about living water and, and, and never thirsting again. And she's like, well, give me that water, you know. And, and so she finally realizes that this is the Messiah that she's talking to. And he promises her water that if she drinks of it, she will never thirst again. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that which could be in your life that actually satisfies you as a family, as a couple. Just a, just a little hint. Your husband is never going to be able to satisfy all your needs. I don't know what to do with that amen, but... That was awesome. Um, I don't know. So, and, 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 your, and, your, and your wife is never going to be able to satisfy all of these. Honestly, kids, your parents aren't even equipped to do that. And it's, it, but, but it seems like everything we try to go after to fill the void or to make us feel important. And it might be, uh, so, so, I don't, so what does it look like? So what are, what are the important things to your family? Like what are the dynamics of who your family is? That, that just, this is what we hunger for. You know, we, we, we want to we ha- we have a certain financial income. That's what we're striving for. So we can live in a certain neighborhood or a certain kind of house. Or we want to drive a certain kind of car. Or maybe, maybe we want to always win, right? So we're, we're involved in every athletic event. And we, we, we're, we never miss a practice. And those are priorities for us. Maybe we just, maybe we want to create this, this image of our family on social media. That everything is just 
so desirable. You wish you had what we have. And it's easy to filter all of that, right? What if we asked your kids what was important to your family? That'd be scary, wouldn't it? Just because, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like all the fun just left the room. It was like, it was like it just sucked all the fun right out. But, but kids know what is important to you and your family. They know what your priorities are, and they know what you are going after as a family to satisfy and meet the craving that we all naturally have. You know, God's word promises to meet all of our needs and that God will fulfill all the desires of our hearts. But how does that work? Well, we need to change our desires. Take a look at what it says in, in Psalm 37, 4. It says this, delight yourself, right? Delight thyself also in the Lord, then what will happen? And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't that kind of go well with the hungering and thirsting after righteousness and then you'll be filled? So the problem is here, I think the reason we are not satisfied as a family or as individuals is, I think we might be going after the wrong stuff. I think that, that what God is promising here is if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'll be filled. That if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then we will have the desires of our heart. That's the formula. C.S. Lewis says this, and this is a great quote. He said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Because there's only so much that you can achieve or accomplish or look to or desire and get in this world. And eventually it just runs out of steam. It just doesn't satisfy you anymore. It's like, it's like you have it and it made your life certain level better, but it, it, it didn't do the job. It wasn't, now there's, there, there's another void there. So let me give you, and this is how the sermon's going to go. I'm going to give you two things that don't work. I'm going to give you two things that will work. And then I'm going to give you three practical things to do. To create the dynamic in your family that we are a family that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And then the blessing that will follow. So let me give you two things that don't work. The first thing that doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. Where we, where we say that this is what it looks like to be a believer. And this is what makes God happy. And so you're going to do this and this and this and this. I think you need to have rules. You need to, you need to have things in your life that are fences to protect you and to, and, and, and to help your walk. But you can't depend upon those for your spirituality. Because, because there's nothing in you that's good enough to make God happy with you. You understand that? Our, the righteousness that we think that we have because we, we do things better than somebody else, the Bible says in Isaiah, are like filthy rags. 
All of the best stuff that we can do, just not good enough. Because rules without a relationship lead to rebellion. Changing the outside does not change the inside. Change needs to come from the inside out. Paul said this to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. He said this, he said, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. So he said, he said I'm, I can keep as many of the laws as I possibly can, but it doesn't produce righteousness. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through what? The faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. So righteousness does not come by keeping the law. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Rules are a good thing. But rules do not produce righteous people. And rules don't produce righteous children or righteous families. So from what I see, legalistic Christianity doesn't work, but neither does lukewarm Christianity. So here's what, what do you mean by lukewarm Christianity, Eric? Here's what I mean. You believe in God, but you live as though you don't. So in other words, your Sunday faith doesn't make it to Monday, right? So you, 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 have, a, you have a good-looking Christianity when you come to church on Sunday, but somehow it just stays at the church building when you go home, and then you just live the same way everybody else does, and it has no effect on the life that you live. Listen, I, I don't want just a Sunday faith. I want a Monday faith and a Tuesday faith. I want to have a real relationship that affects every day of the week because your Sunday faith still works on Monday. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 gives us this admonition. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We have a lot of atheistic Christians. That's what we have. based on our behavior. Like this is, I love church, and I love coming, and I love the music, and I love, I love the word of God, and I love the fellowship that we have, but somewhere it needs to affect the rest of our life. And that's what I'm talking about. It's almost like, it's almost like we believe in God, we just don't believe in it affecting my life at all. We like to keep him in a little box over here on the shelf and take him out every Sunday and bring him to church with us. But we don't so much, you know, take him off the shelf when we go to work the next day. And he doesn't really have any effect on our honesty or how we treat somebody else or our integrity or the relationship that we have with our wife. That's the God that I want to have in my life. I want him affecting every area of my life. That's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's what doesn't work. Let me give you two things that I think do work. And so, so here's what does work. Becoming a Christ-centered family, not just a Christian family. And boy, is there a difference. Because Christian is a label. Christian is a label. It's not a way of life. And I want to be a Christ-centered family. What's the difference, Eric? Because then he's not just a part of our life. He's the center of it. 
I want Christ to be the center of everything we do. Psalm 63 verse 1 says this, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, what does that look like for our family? Here's the family version of it. Oh, God, you are our God. Early will we seek you. Our family thirsts for you. Make Christ the center of your family. And we're going to get to some practical ways to do that. The second thing I think you can do to help your family, or what does work, help your family see God as loving, approachable, and involved. See, here's the thing. If we keep God just on Sunday, then he's not a loving God on Monday. And when we keep God just on Sunday, he's not approachable to us anymore. We can't go to him throughout the day with issues that we have or questions we have or needs that we have. But I want, I, want, I want a God that is approachable, that is loving, and who is involved in my daily life. Now, how does that happen, Eric? You have to work on your relationship with God. As a spouse, as a parent, as a teenager, as a child, you have to work on your relationship with God independently. Let me ask you this. So if the tables were reversed, and you had somebody who was trying to figure out this whole God thing, And they asked you, okay, so how do I make God a bigger part of our family's life? What advice would you give them? Like, let's name three things that you can practically do that will help your family be Christ-centered. What are are a couple things that your family can do that will make a difference in how your kids approach church? Because I want my kids to go to church after I stop making them come to church. I want my kids to come to church even if I'm not the pastor here. I want my kids to love Jesus, not just obey daddy. And it takes more than just me telling them what to do. It's me giving them the example and the effect that it has on my life. And let me tell you, if and and I don't know how true this is, but I've read a lot of places where a lot of times the way that we picture God and the way that we relate to God is a lot, it looks a lot like how we related to our parents. And so if you are a loving parent and if you are an approachable parent and you are an involved parent, a lot of times that's how your children are going to develop their relationship with God, their heavenly father. So let me give you three ways to help your family Create a hunger for God. First of all, involve God in your daily conversations. This is one of my favorites. You just talk about them. You're driving down the road and you see a beautiful sunset or incredible. We live in a beautiful area where it's easy to give God all the credit for the beauty of nature that's around us. And that just, that starts a conversation, right? All of a sudden now you're talking about, and it doesn't have to be with 30 seconds. It just needs to be a part of your daily conversations. When they start yawning, switch the subject. But it's kind of part of who we are. I mean, even my wife and I, when we're riding down the road or we're having dinner together or something like that, it comes up about how good God is. When you pray, what are you praying for? When you ask, when you thank God for the meal that you're eating and you're sitting at the table together as a family, 
It's like, it's like you're, you're, you have an opportunity to have a conversation about how good God has been to you. Make him a part of your daily conversations. The other day, we were, we were on a little vacation last week, and we're in the car, and, and, and Melissa and I are up front, and Kimber's in the back, our 15-year-old, almost 16, and she's doing something, I think a video game on her phone, and she goes, she goes Dad, 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 now, I'm, I, know, I know that we're supposed to honor God, like in everything we do, right? I'm like, yeah. Can you honor God playing a video game? Now, don't look to me for the answer, but what a great conversation starter, right? So she's thinking through this stuff, and she initiated it. Can you honor God by playing a video game? So then we start talking about different things that are in the video games and whether or not, you know, it's neutral or whether or not it's, it's not neutral and if it's good or, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I think God is okay with you having some downtime. Physically and mentally, you know, but you just can't, you can't pour your life into it. I mean, just, so it was a great conversation that lasted all of about 40 seconds. But it was just that reminder, right? It just, it's, it's part of our daily routine. And just have daily conversations about God with your family helps create a hunger for God. Because then your kids learn to see him everywhere. And that God, being approachable and loving and involved, has something to do with whatever you are doing. So involve God in your daily conversations. The second thing I think you can do is make a list of non-negotiables. And I know I messed up your notes because I put something different and then I changed it, okay? Give me a break. So I had like a non-negotiable. I said, make blank a non-negotiable. And then I thought, there needs to be more than one. So make a list of non-negotiables. I also thought about this. What's a non-negotiable for me may not be a non-negotiable for you. But you need to have non-negotiables. By the way, you have non-negotiables already. You just may not have identified them as non-negotiables. So, so a couple non-negotiables for me. We're going to be a generous family. That's a non-negotiable for this family. If we see a need and we can meet it, we're going to meet the need. We are, we, we are just a generous family with our time, with our treasures, with our talent, whatever. We want to be a generous family, and we want to meet needs for those people around us and the lives that are going to be affected for all of eternity because God moved in our hearts to be generous. That's a non-negotiable for us, and our kids know it. And guess what? Our kids are generous. That's just a non-negotiable. Going to church is a non-negotiable for the Replog family. I know I'm the pastor but it's kind of always been a non-negotiable. We're going to be here, right? We're going to be in church. We are going to find a place to serve in church. That's a non-negotiable. And you may argue with me and say, I don't think that needs to be a non-negotiable. That's fine. What are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you just say, this is who we are as a family, and this is what's going to be the characteristic of who we are? Because we thought about them ahead of time, And this is the pattern that we want to establish so that our kids will love Jesus. Let me tell you this. Your kids know what your non-negotiables are. Practice is a non-negotiable. I'm not saying for our family. I'm just saying a lot of kids see, yep, we're not going to miss a game. We're not going to miss a practice, but we'll miss church. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, and and I'm not, but but whatever your non-negotiables are, make them clear. And be intentional about it because your non-negotiables need to take you somewhere. 
Your non-negotiables need to be doing something in the lives of your children, in the lives of your relationship with your, with your spouse and with your family that promote hungering and thirsting after God. And here's what I love is we can have conversations about this and you and I can, be, and I love you and I will, I will understand where you're coming from, but I may not agree. But as long as you have negotiable, non-negotiables in your life for your family that take you to from where you are to where God can evidently bless those, those actions, I'm for it. But what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you just say, we're just going to do this? This is just who we are as a family, and this is what we are doing as a family that's non-negotiable to create a bigger hunger for God. Because my role is to hunger and thirst. God's role is to fill. Someone said when I was young, I don't remember who to give credit to. I just remember, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Right? And I'm just saying, let's put some thought into this. Let's not just, like, like sashay through life and then wonder why our family doesn't love Jesus. Let's put some thought into this and create a list of non-negotiables. And I've made half of you mad, and I'm sorry, a little bit. I'm just saying that whatever your non-negotiables are, put some thought into it and make sure that they honor God, and you don't have to explain it to me. It needs to be something that you and God determine is important for your family, whatever that is. I know what they are for our family, and I hope my kids do as well, and I hope that they pattern their lives after it. I've got a 23-year-old and a 15-year-old. That's it so far. So I don't know what that's going to mean. The, the Bible says in Proverbs that, that a, your children's children are crowned to old men. So I got, I got a ways to go before I figure out if we did a good job parenting. It's not if my kids turn out good, it's if my grandkids turn out good. And you want a soft spot to my heart? Talking about my kids and my grandbaby, and now you got my attention. And I feel a lot of responsibility as a dad in this relationship to set a course that my kids can love God and easily follow. And it becomes second nature to them to go to church, be generous, love God, have a relationship with him, and impact the lives of people around them with the gospel. That's my goal. And secondary on that are some of the other things that are important to us as a family, but they're just not non-negotiable. And I could, I could make arguments for you as to why we have chosen the non-negotiables for our family. We've hair-lipped people, but it's just, it's just what is non-negotiable for us. And you need to have that list, and you need to put some thoughts into it. And make sure that it's, it's going to get you to the place where you want to be. It's going to get your kids to the place where you want them to be. So daily conversations about God, a list of non-negotiables. And number three, show your family. I love this. Show your family how seeking and serving God is fun. Show them because you're doing it. Be the example. Your kids are more likely to become who you are than what you tell them to become. 
I jotted this down, and there's too many words, but you'll get my thought here. If my children can develop their own relationship with Jesus, then I won't always have to tell them to do good because they'll be pursuing the one who is good. So if we can have those daily conversations, and if they know what our non-negotiables are and what is the priority in our family, and that I am leading the way in my serving and my seeking God, and we're doing this together and we're having fun doing it, there is a much greater chance that my daughters are going to follow after God. I think you need to have high standards for your children. I'll never forget I had an uncle one time, had a teenage daughter, and this is just not in my notes, so don't blame God for this. And we're at a family reunion, and his teenage daughter wasn't there, and he's like, I'm not sure where she is, but as long as she doesn't get pregnant, I'm happy. I thought, what a low, I was a kid, and I remember thinking, what a low standard for your children. Like, what a low standard. Like, I just hope she doesn't get, right? I'm, I'm saying that, that, that's not even on the radar with me. Because I want to pursue good. I want her pursuing the one who is good. And those are the conversations that we have. And I want her close to my heart. And I want my daughters to just love the Lord like I love the Lord. And I want to lead the way in seeking and serving him. So it becomes second nature for them. Rather than telling them what not to do, I'm going to show them what to do and who to love and what that needs to look like. I know it seems unattainable. It seems out of reach. But folks, it is possible. And here's the thing. It's a journey. So none of us have perfect families. We've already acknowledged that. So my question is, what one thing... Are you going to take from this message today? And what one thing are you going to learn about God today that you can implement in your family to go in the, in the right direction, like to alter your course just a little bit? And let me tell you what's going to happen. You alter your course just a little bit right now, and where you end up is going to be very, very different. You decide to have one conversation about God that seems natural and helpful during the week. You volunteer to do something with your family at a soup kitchen downtown or, or you volunteer to do something that is of service. And it makes a big difference in the lives of your kids and your relationship with your spouse and it helps your family to be something that is blessed of God and a place that you can enjoy coming home to. So I know it seems like a big deal, like an like, like, like a, like a, like a impossible task, but this is a journey that we're on. And it's about one step at a time going in the right direction. Joshua, it's a whole book in the Bible named Joshua. It's addressing the people of Israel. And he's giving them a decision. You can either serve God or you can not serve God. But he says this, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. It's a decision. Those daily conversations, 
those non-negotiables, and seeking and serving God. That creates the hunger in your family that will then be filled by God. (laughs) And you'll be satisfied. You'll be blessed. Let's pray.